0: Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own.
1: Check out the Johncast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is one on one.
0: You sit there and you go, Holy cow, like I don't have to pay for half my uniform. And I look at my teammates, and they're coming from Clemson, USC. And they're like, gosh, we don't even get a glove? Like, what's the deal?
1: Like, these buses are trash. And I'm like, we have buses? (laughs) And our guest this week is former Phillies catcher and new member of the Phillies radio broadcast team, Eric Kratz. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time.
0: No doubt. You're welcome. Thanks for having
1: me on. So let's start with the broadcasting. Uh, as we're talking, the announcement came out that you'll be one of the guys uh, taking time behind the mic this season. Has this always been something you were interested in, or was this something that your playing days were over and you you had that itch you wanted to stay in the game, or a little bit of both?
0: Um, Depends on what you mean, as always. Uh, when I played for the Phillies, a couple of people – um on on the team on the broadcast team had mentioned to me that you know maybe maybe I'd be pretty good at it. And I was like, okay, like, thanks. And and based on my career, I was always looking for whatever the heck the next thing I was gonna do was gonna be. So it was something that, you know, once they put that in my ear, I was like, hmm, let's see what that means. And, you know, different teams I played on then different people would say the same thing. Like, ah, you're probably pretty good at this. And for, for me, pursuing it now is something that it's only going to work if I can just be who I am making mistakes and enjoying baseball, talking baseball. So, so, so if somebody's looking for something different than that. You know, I'm not really, I'm not your guy. So I'm excited about it. It's really, it's a nice way to not just dip your toe in 20 games is, you know, I'm going to, I'm sitting on the edge of the pool with both legs in. I'm enjoying the water and I'm not, I'm not fully in yet. So it's, but it's something that's definitely something that's exciting for me to, to try it
1: out. Nervous about it at all? No, no. Cause
0: for, I mean, talking to Fransky, like he's, he's, he's going to take me. He's, he's got really broad shoulders.
1: So let's talk about your life in baseball growing up was baseball your sport like as a kid or were you playing whatever was in season? Both. I think, you know, I didn't
0: grow up in the travel ball era. I did play travel soccer, but for me it was just soccer season. And then it was basketball season. And then it was baseball season, but I always loved baseball. Like if there was one sport that I worked on, it would have been the baseball, you know, but working on it wasn't like lessons and all that stuff. It was just me going outside and hitting off a tee that I bought and, I hung a, I hung a net. I originally hung a blanket on my mom's clothesline and I would hit into it. And, you know, so that was, that was like the extent of my extra work that I started to do. But I, I, I played, I played everything. Like I enjoyed, I enjoyed baseball the most, I would say.
1: Were you always a catcher growing up? No.
0: So, you know, everybody wants to be a shortstop. Soon I found out that It takes a lot more to be a shortstop. And I found that out in uh, probably my sophomore year of high school when I didn't – you know, there was other shortstops at my school that were better. So I was like, ah, it's easy. I'll just shift over to third. And I still didn't make the varsity team. And so I played third base on JV. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can't play third on the varsity team. The guy that's up there still has another year – Oh boy, if I want to make the team as a junior, I better switch positions. So, something that whether it was my choice or it was forced, you know, you you can be the judge, but that's that's the culmination. My junior year was the first time I caught.
1: That's kind of late to come to catching it during a baseball life. How difficult was it at that age to get used to playing that position? It wasn't
0: as difficult as I thought it would be because it was something that I never, all all the guys growing up that I played with the football play, the football players were the catchers. And I was like, well, I guess catching, you just got to be super tough. And like, you got to have a beard before you're in eighth grade. And you know, those were the guys that caught. And so when I got back there, I really, I enjoyed it because I enjoyed the game and I was always in it. It was always a chance for me to be in it. How good I was, right off the bat i don't know you know my dad's the only one that was really that was really there watching all those games and he's always like oh yeah you were great i'm like dad you always think i'm great
1: were you at that young age in high school were you at calling pitches at all or stuff like that or was it just you were
0: yeah yeah i i was fortunate through high school through um college I called all my own pitches and that's, that was a great, great learning curve for me where if I had learned, if I had started catching and then everyone just like spoon fed me all the answers, it was, it was great for me. I made so many mistakes.
1: How long did it take you to really feel comfortable with calling a game, like understanding how to work batters and stuff like that? Well, what year is this year?
0: <laughs> for for I I I really don't know. I mean, I, I definitely started feeling comfortable in the minor leagues, and then you get to the big leagues and it's a little bit different. And you get you get to the big leagues on a really good team and it's a different feeling. You know, it's I felt like it was a constantly learn constant learning process for me, calling pitches specifically, because it was a it was a constantly changing landscape you know i think a lot of guys look at how hitters hit and they're like oh man you know he's he's really struggling right now there's so many ebbs and flows of i see this hitter is hitting this pitch we got to go away from it and then how soon does he make the adjustment how soon does the game caller make the adjustment and it's that's the beauty of the position and that's the that's the crux of the position too where you're like oh, man, like there was just some days and some hitters, I would sit there and be like, like, are my fingers loud? Like I just put down a one and you were like all over this fastball. Or I we just threw the best curveball ever and you just murdered it off the opposite field fence. And I'm like, you know, so I'm like looking down at my fingers like, are you talking? Like, is there like, <laughs> can you see? You know, that kind of thing. So that that's how <laughs> – that that's how an emotional roller coaster game calling can be for me
1: the great thing about catcher is it's such a there's the physical aspect there is the mental aspect to calling pitches and stuff like that there's the emotional aspect where you've got to connect with your pitcher and kind of understand what guy needs a kick in the rear end what guy needs a pat on the back when they need it, stuff like that did that kind kind of come natural to you or was that Kind of something that was a a learned thing as you were going along.
0: Definitely both. Uh, I I feel like if you were to take a personality test, I think that would be something that's a strength of Um, mine—reading people. But when you can read people and you put yourself out there that you're reading that person in in different ways, whatever that means, you know, learning learning what their strengths are and everything, you're gonna also make mistakes too. You're you're gonna you're going to really fight for a guy. You're going to really fight to, to prod a guy and you're going to be wrong. I'll never forget a story in the minor leagues. I, there was a guy we were warming somebody up in the bullpen. And I was like, it was two outs, bottom of the ninth, I think runner on third. And I was like, look, I was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go two fastballs away. And he's going to freeze on the one. He's going to miss hit the next one. And then you're going to throw your split in the dirt. And we're going to high five. And we're going to win this game. Boom. Fastball away. Strike. Fastball away. Foul ball. I'm like, this is unbelievable. We're doing this. Splitter in the dirt. Swing and miss. Ball gets through my glove. Run scores. They tie the game. Runner goes the first. We ended up winning the game in extra innings, but it was like, you got it. You got it. Oh, you totally blew it. (laughs) So, so all that stuff, like I prodded him and he was like, afterwards, he's like, thanks for that, bro. Like you were exactly right, but you screwed it up. And it's like, (sighs) so you gotta be willing to put yourself out there when you're trying to truly get to know pitchers. And truly get to know, like, if you go and prod a guy who is high energy and just comes out of the bullpen and just hasn't blinked since he got out there, you're, just, you're wasting your time. Like, he doesn't hear that. Same thing if you're like, hey, like, relax. And everything's good. You're, you're totally fine. To a guy whose heartbeat never gets above 70 – You you have you have to know that kind of stuff, and I think that's what the really good catchers that the really good everyday catchers that are you know in the playoffs year in and year out, no matter what team they're on.
1: When did you start to think I'm good enough to play in college? (laughs) Ignorantly, the whole time. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know,
0: I I you don't, but you look back on it and you're like. Dude, you're not even on the varsity team your sophomore year on a good team. Like, we were a good team. But we weren't, like – we weren't elite. We weren't, like, state champs. We weren't, like, a Malvern prep type. We – you know, that's that's who was really good when I was in school was Malvern prep. And, you know, so we weren't, we weren't even close to that level. But just ignorantly, I thought I would always be able to play in college. Like, I saw other guys that go play in college, and I wasn't sitting there going – yeah, I'm definitely gonna play at Division Three School. No, I was like, I want to play at Division One, just like anybody else.
1: So, what's the road to Eastern Mennonite University?
0: The actual road is 81, 78 to 81. <laughs> the road to there through baseball is I I consider it a blessing. It, it was it was something that was really it was awesome for me. I was gonna to go to Montgomery County Community College and I was going to, according to the coach's words, I was going to sit behind a sophomore that they had there that was going to go to the next year. I think he was going to go to Concord. I don't even know if Concord's still a school, but it, it was, you know, so I was going to sit behind him. So it was one of those things that I, I prayed about it. one July, One July night going to bed and the next day, I woke up and I was like, man, I really feel like I'm gonna go to EMU. Like, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, res, you know, resigned to the fact that ah, I got to go get an education, but I knew I had to get an education. Like, I was not getting any academic grades. Division three, you don't get any, you don't get any athletic scholarships. So it was like, when I go there, I got to be ready. Like, I'm paying for school, so I got to have a job, and I got to. I got to get through school in four years. I'm not doing the four to five years, um, that, that route. So it's something that I, I, I was, I was really, I was really green to the fact that what it was going to take to go to college. My parents didn't go to college. My older sister went to temple, um, and she was two years older than me. So she gave me some advice, but going to college was something that was, was such a blessing for me. Yes, because I got ended up getting drafted. Um, but the road to going there was really the coach. The head coach saw me play one time for, like, two at-bats. And one of my buddies that I grew up playing with had gone there, and he really was – he was really pushing for me to go there because he was there as a freshman and a pitcher, and it was cool. We got to keep playing together. I think I graduated before him, too. I was – I was bust his chops because he got there a year before me, and I finished the year before him. So,
1: what's the transition like to to college baseball? Did you feel comfortable? Was it a uh, a big? Did did it take some getting used to speed of the game stuff like that?
0: No that that wasn't. I, I felt I went in and I was very confident. I mean, I think my my baseball skills really flourished. My junior and then senior year, I made a lot of big improvements those years. I was a late bloomer. Like I grew two inches when I got to college. Um, I put on fifty pounds by the time I graduated, you know. So I was already a, a big kid. You know, you graduate you graduate high school six three, one ninety-five. Like it's not a small kid, but I was soccer one ninety-five. You know, my legs were were able to kick a soccer ball and my upper body looked like, you know, Ken doll's arms. Uh, It it was something that I I got there and there was a great group of juniors and seniors that were, you know, worked and and they wanted to get better. And it was a group that wanted to get better together. And I came in, they're very, they're very complimentary of me. Like, dude, you can, you can definitely do this. Like you, there, there there's just a lot of, positive people around me and they they gave me confidence that right out of the gate I could I could be a a contributing member of the team and we had no other catchers so that that kind of built a lot of confidence for myself but one of of the things that they they voted me a captain we had a captain from freshman sophomore junior and senior and and or representative not not necessarily a captain, you know, to be voted that, and it kind of, it leaned into my leadership personality um, traits that I had, and it gave me a sense of belonging, and not like, oh, I gotta show them what I, what I gotta, what I can do, and so it, it definitely gave me a lot of confidence, so no, the speed of the game, I always feel like Division Three. they ask, people ask like, well, what's the difference between Division Three and, and high school, I'm like, Division three is normally like high school, but the pitchers just throw change-ups. Like very few pitchers in, in high school have change-ups. So it's one of those things I was like, whoa, a change-up.
1: This is awesome. <laughs> was there a point in your young catching career when you start to realize that the path to success because of the position you're playing, that if you're good – it will accelerate eyes on you. It could accelerate opportunities just because there's the dearth of, of kids that really commit to catching. I don't think
0: anybody would ever say the acceleration of my path to the big leagues ever happened. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe, if you're comparing the acceleration of my career to the acceleration of me running down <laughs> the first baseline, then make equal, equal pace. Um, I, I remember yeah, it's not quite answering your question, but I remember my, my manager, one of, the, one, of the, one of the guys that really mentored me in the minor leagues, He, him and the hitting coach put my name in to go to the Arizona Fall League in 2005. And you think Arizona Fall League, and you think prospects, like prospects galore. And I'm like, me? And he really said, you know, I, I got picked to go and i was like whoa that's awesome like it's such a great honor and he goes he told me he's like like it's a great honor he said but when you go there you're going to see that you are as good if not better than the other guys there defensively and you just need to trust your hitting and so it, it was it was eye opening i remember going there and watching the other guys and it was a it was a moment that i that i had that had that confidence in pro ball where it was like, yeah, like he's right. And, and then, you know, then we build on that. We build on the, the game calling side of it. We build on just a lot of different aspects of catching, which is one of my favorite things about catching. There's so many different avenues and aspects.
1: When does pro baseball during your college or even high school or more in your college days, when does, pro baseball the idea of it become less of a dream and more of a realistic goal like it's not just something every kid that plays thinks can happen when do you start to thinking you know what this I've I got a shot at this like this could really happen
0: I think every I think every kid deep down does think it could happen so I would disagree with you on that (laughs) that I think every kid does and again for me maybe ignorantly my freshman and sophomore year I definitely thought that like me and my buddies the boys guys I'm still really close with we still joke about like we're like we're doing it we're my my roommate's dad he had he had gotten drafted and played in minor leagues his godfather was Denny Walling um who was a coach in at that point he was a coach in the big leagues um on Art house staff, I'm not sure where Art Howe was, maybe the A's or the Mets at that point. But anyway, so like we looked at him and we're like, I mean, I didn't know the guy, but we looked at him. And we're like, whoa, big leagues. Anything he'd say, big leagues. Yeah, we're doing it. And for me, when I look back at it, the reality, like the true reality of it was I was moving into my apartment my ju- after my junior year. I had a really good junior year and I got a phone call <laughs> and, and to this day, now I think about it, with our cell phones, like anybody can reach anybody. But we had just hooked up our landline at the apartment that we moved into in Waynesboro, Virginia. And I was eating. The only reason I know it was one of the first nights I was there was because it was the first time I'd ever had General Tzau chicken. And I was eating General Tzau chicken, and I got a phone call from the Orioles scout and he wanted me to come up to Camden Yards for a tryout. And I was like, Camden Yards. I had never, besides the Carpenter Cup, my, my senior year of high school, I would never been on a big league field. And that was the luscious AstroTurf of the vet. So I was getting to go to Camden Yards. You know, oh, he's like, would you want to come? I'm like, what? Would you want to come? Absolutely. And so that's when the dream started to become reality cuz i went there and uh, i think they brought me there because they had a bunch of pitchers and they needed a catcher just because looking back on it how much how they looked at me and they were like whoa like oh you know it was kind of like oh we didn't know he was actually like a guy that could play now from a division 3 school you're not you're not you're not really on people's radar, right? You know, it can happen, but you're not really on their radar, but I did really well. You know, I was smashing some homers and BP. I threw awesome to the point where they were like, Hey, you mind throwing a couple more. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's, let's let it eat. And afterwards he was, the scout was like, the guy that invited me was like, wow. He was like, you really, you really impressed him." And I'm like, Whoa, I might get drafted. This is unbelievable. And I was disappointed when I didn't, but that was the first time when dreams became realities or, or possibilities.
1: You do eventually get drafted to a 29th round by Toronto in 2 What was your draft experience like? Were you paying attention? Were you not paying attention purposely? Uh, how were you handling it?
0: I was paying attention. Uh, we had my sports information director at, at EMU was one of my buddies and we were listening to it on on his computer and he had to leave and you know it's just like redraft number seven eight three two you know draft number seven four one one and then it was like toronto draft kratz eric kratz catcher draft number seven eight three whatever my number was I, and I was, so I was sitting in his office, nobody around, everybody had left and my head coach told me to let him know, you know, what happened. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have my, I didn't have a phone number that I was going to call my head coach, but I left a note on my head coach's door and I wrote on their 28th round. I didn't know I was drafted in the 29th round. And by the time I had driven home, which was literally half a mile from campus, because my wife and I had an apartment a half a mile. We had gotten married um, during my senior year. And I, I checked, I had a voicemail from the scout, Chip Lawrence, and he told me that they drafted me and to give him a call. And 19 years later, I quit.
1: <laughs> Time for a break on one on one. We will have more with former Phillies catcher Eric Kratz right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week is former Phillies catcher Eric Kratz, who will be part of the radio broadcast team for the Phils this year. We talked about the transition from high school to college. College to, you know, minor league baseball. Is that a, does that a, an eye opener?
0: Whoa. Major eye opener for me. Um, I knew nothing about minor league ranks. I knew nothing about the travel, the time, anything, it was, it was really something that I put on a, on a pedestal and coming from a division three program where you don't know anybody in the minor leagues. It's something that you, you sit there and you go, Holy cow. Like I get free bats from the team. Like I get, I don't have to pay for half my uniform. Like that was, That was where I was coming from. And I look at my teammates and they're coming from Clemson, USC, Mississippi state, whatever big school. And they're like, gosh, we don't even get a glove. Like what's the deal? Like these buses are trash. And I'm like, we have buses. (laughs) Like we're not driving to our own games. And, and so there was so many times when it was, when there was a differing uh, differing perspectives from me and my teammates, but as far as like the game goes, the, like the acclimation for me to the game, I, I couldn't have been more blessed to have hit a home run in my first at bat because I remember the thoughts of like, Holy cow, everybody throws cheese here. And it's like, I had never had problems with guys that threw hard, but, I had never really faced too many guys that had thrown hard Division, our, our league. We might've had a guy that touched 91, 92, maybe. Um, and I remember I did well against most of the hard throwers, but when you sit there and you're like, everybody's throwing hard, I I think it really could have spiraled quickly for me, um, without, without having success in my first at bat. So it was something that I was I was fortunate in that sense. But behind the plate wise, man, that was a learning curve. Cause I thought I knew a lot. And I remember them going through the first and third defenses. And I used to just call all that myself. And he was our manager. I had to sit down with our manager because I was like, you have to explain this first and third defense thing. Like, I don't know. Because he would send a sign in from me. And I had to send a sign to the fielders. So we knew what we were doing on our first and third defense. And I was just like, it almost brought me to tears thinking about like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't, but once I learned it, you know, I fortunate the manager sat down with me and he gave me the time of day, but the way he talked about it, it was like, yeah, first and third defense, we're going to go third touch second sign and for the catchers for me it's going to be second touch first sign and you know you just relay it and just make sure you always look over when it's first and second base you know okay so what we're going to do today guys is we're and i'm like how did you just like were you just speaking english i do not first and third what so that was a huge learning curve for me huge
1: how long did it take you to feel comfortable
0: that season that first that first season um but even then i always felt like i was physically and mentally playing wise it it was during that season at some point i can't exactly say when um but as far as like the lifestyle goes it took that whole season um i got invited to instructs and so i had to go down to florida after like the season ended and I had a few weeks off and then I had to go down to Florida. And I, I remember, cause I'm just, I'm listening to the guys that have been through it before. And I'm like, yeah, they're inviting me to Instructs. And I hear other dudes go, I don't want to go to Instructs. And I'm like, why? Like why, why don't you want to go? Are you lazy? Do you not want to get better? Cause my whole mindset was I got drafted. I'm going to the big leagues and i'm so close reality was i was so far away but again ignorance is bliss
1: so what it you were in the minors from 2002 you get drafted till you make your debut 2010 with the pirates i think you spent 6 years with the blue jays organization and then pittsburgh you go you end up you go with pittsburgh and eventually get to the big leagues correct was there a point during those years where frustration sets in because you're moving up the ladder but maybe then you're moving back or there's a numbers game somewhere and obviously you switch organizations you know what's the ebb and flow emotionally you know during those years when you're having some success you're playing pro ball but maybe you're not moving as fast as you thought
0: have you ever been to dorney park and ridden hercules <laughs> that is my minor league career in a nutshell like tick 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 tick, going up and then you're like wow no yes yes no whoa this is unbelievable and you're just you're up and down um I think I think emotionally and spiritually and so many so many different things in my life were going on during that time. I always tell people when they ask that question that you got to read the book, the book's coming out. So you'll have to read the book to really hopefully delve into those years. But there was times that I was going to quit. I mean, there there was, I told my dad I was going to quit. There was times when my dad had tell me not to quit. There was times when my dad was like, uh, are you going to quit? Like, you know, it, it was, it was, Like what? No, I'm not going to quit. Like, he's like, well, you got a family now. Like you got to think about that. And, you know, but there was also a time when I sat down with him and I was like, dad, I think I'm going to quit. He's like, no, like maybe, maybe, but not today. Like you're not quitting today. And those were all, those were all the, those times. And there was times when it was like, I am the last guy on this roster in the minor leagues, oldest guy and not playing that much like you're just you're just looking for the you're looking for the grim reaper coach that's coming through to just uh tap you on the shoulder uh got to go see the manager and it's like uh he's not putting me in the game that's not why he wants to see me um so yeah there was definitely times there was there was there's was a lot of times for sure
1: is there one that stands out that was the closest where i mean And I don't I'm not trying, but like that, the Crash Davis and Bull Durham moment where you're like "F this effing game, slam the manager's door. (laughs) But then, you know, in the movie, he goes, all right, what time is batting practice? But like where you really had almost crossed the lexicon where, you know what, I can't anymore, but you didn't. There there
0: was definitely times um, towards the end of my time with the Blue Jays that that you know, I had my, we had our first kid and, you know, it starts to become more like, dude, like you got a man up here. Um, but before I had a kid in 2004, I got off the bus in Auburn, New York, and it was my second full season, but technically my third season, like a half season doesn't count as a full season when I got drafted. And then the next year I went to... Um, Auburn in 2003 did well hit three something homers like I was I had success that year and then I spent most of the most of the season up until June uh, on the phantom DL and not playing but I was back and extended as a 23 year old I had I didn't turn 24 till June so I was a 23 year old but a senior out of college, I was a young, I was a young college, um, young college senior who graduated. I was 21 when I graduated, so it was something that my age was younger. But college senior, you shouldn't be going back to two years of extended. You shouldn't even go to one. But and and then I was going to repeat the same level that I had just hit over 300 and had success at. And on top of that, they told me I wasn't going to play that much. The other guy that was there was going to play four days a week and I would play the fifth day. And so it was like that one really piled up on me to even to even add another little cherry on top of, of frustration. My wife was a teacher at the time, and she came down to our apartment in Florida And she was like, okay, like I made it. We had my birthday celebration and I went into the field and they were like, yeah, you're going to Auburn. So she had just gotten to Florida. We, we didn't have money to like put her on a plane and come up to Auburn, New York. And what was she going to do up in Auburn? Just like sit there. So she had come down, she had come down there. We were going to be together for the summer and They sent me to Auburn and she's like I don't know that I'm gonna go to Auburn because she had family up in uh in Florida south of Florida and it was perfect for her to go and hang out with her grandfather and it was one of those things where it was like all right you know we'll see like they it might not be something that I'm gonna be up there for the whole for the whole summer but It it was like, that was the cherry on top that really made it frustrating. And my dad picked me up uh, at the clubhouse, got off the bus and we were supposed to go to the, we were supposed to drop our equipment off in the clubhouse and go to the hotel. The team was going to take us to the hotel. And my dad probably took like five business trips, his entire life and his entire career in his job. And He just happened to have a business trip that day up in up outside of Auburn, kind of upstate New York kind of area. And he picked me up and I put my baseball equipment and my personal luggage in the back of his car. And we went to Applebee's. And I was like, I told him, I said, Dad, take me home. Like, I I, there's what's the point? Like, why, why am I why am I doing this? Like, I had success. And now I have to go back to the same place. I'm a year older when last year I was already one of the older guys anyway. And he's like, nah, like, what are you going to do if you go home now? He's not, he's not saying don't. He's not saying, no, you got you to gotta last forever. You, you got to stay in there for 19 years and keep chugging away. No, he was, he was very like, look, you're here. Sarah will come up to see you. Maybe it's not maybe it's not a permanent thing, but you had success, you know you can do it. Just quitting, you can always do that later. He never said in September you can quit. But his his words meant in September you can quit. <laughs> but don't but not now. Don't don't do it now. And you know, I I didn't quit for until 17 years later.
1: So we mentioned after the blue Jays, you go to the pirates organization and just looking at the numbers, it seems like that almost was a rejuvenation. You spent, uh, I think it was Oh nine, the entire year in AAA. Triple- you had, you had tasted AAA with the blue Jays, but this is, you're yep. there. You hit like 270 something. Um, does, am, am I read the numbers? Tell the story properly. Were you kind of reborn in the pirates organization? Um, I, so, so many people asked me. Well, what did you change
0: when you went there? I was like, I didn't change anything. I said I just got to play. I was playing three, four games in a row, and my my numbers, my numbers, reflected that. But also, I got to with with playing a lot. You just accumulate numbers that enabled me to go to an All Star game, which. I won the MVP of the all-star game on ESPN. So now all of a sudden, like, people are kind of like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's, you know, he's an older guy, but catching, nobody really cares about age and catching as long as you can, you know, you have a heartbeat. They So so it really kind of, it did. It put me on the map. It did.
1: 2010, you're in AAA again, but 2010, you finally get the call to go to the big leagues. Uh, take me through, how did you learn you were going to be a Pittsburgh Pirate?
0: Yeah, we flew from Indianapolis as a family to Lehigh Valley. And I actually started the game. I started the All-Star Game, which I didn't think I should start because the other, cat, the other year I started and I felt like I was, I was the best of the two or three guys that they had brought to the All-Star Game up until that point in the season. And they – I started the game, and I was like, "Eh," you know, the other kid was Jesus Montero, who was a big-time prospect. He was like 19 at the time, 20, and was just killing it. And I was like, that's probably the guy that should be starting. Um, Turns out they had it all – they had it all planned. I got pulled out in the third inning, and they – My manager was like a bench coach or just like a third coach for the game. And he told me, he's like, well, do you want to go back in the game? Or do you want to go to the big leagues? And up until that point, I told so many people that I was going to give them a call, give them a text when I got called up. But, you know, when you start saying that, like six years later, it happens you've accumulated a large list that you're not going to be able to do it for everybody. Um, I don't, I don't know that group texts were like (laughs) a thing at that point, but I know my T nine, my T nine texting would have been, would have been large and in charge. Um, but on my flip phone, but before I got to walk in, there's video of it, but I tried to walk into the clubhouse in Lehigh text my wife, like, text my dad my mom like like the people who mean the most to me and they stopped me and they're like hey uh we heard the news congratulations I'm like how did you hear the news like it just happened I was the only person talking to so it was kind of an inside thing that with the M O B network um they, they knew about it and the PR guy with the iron pigs knew about it. And I'm like, wow, it's best kept secret ever. Like <laughs> just a huge moment in my life. And a bunch of people already knew about it, but I, you know, so it was one of those things that I, I went and did the interview and my oldest son was three. So a minor league baseball game means like mascots and the playground. And my sister was at the game. My younger sister was at the game, and she went to take him to the playground because I was out of the game. And so my wife's like, well, you know, he's out of the game. We flew all the way here for him to play three innings. Like, feels kind of silly, but it was close to home. So it was something that, you know, we got to see family. We got to see everybody. And my sister said she saw me giving an interview, and she was like, what? And she, like, took Brayden, my, my oldest son, took him off the, off the playground and, like, started going back to he, – he wanted to stay on the playground and started going back to uh, the, her seats. And she – by the time she got there, they were like, I think he was interviewed. Like, what? I think there's a chance he got called up. And my best friend from high school was in the funnel cake line to go because again I was I was out of the game and he went to go get a funnel cake and on the on the screen obviously there's no audio but on the screen there's aircrafts eight years minor leagues first big league first call up or something like that and he was just like he stood there he's watching it he looks at the game he's watching the TV he goes back and he's like I think he's like, I just got out of line, but I think I think Eric just got called up. And then by that time, I had gotten in there and I had texted. I had cried on national television, all that good stuff.
1: Major League debut, uh, I believe it was against the Houston Astros, if I'm not mistaken, July uh, 17th of 2010.
0: The National League, Houston Astros, yes.
1: Yes, yes. What's that like? You started that game. You played the whole game, right?
0: I did play the whole game. We won. I got two hits, I got an RBI. Um what that what's that game like? It, it's Fortunately, the night before I didn't play. I got to soak in everything and I it was one of those things that I got to feel my emotions. Um I had a lot of time before that to think like, well, if I ever get called up, what am I going to be feeling? What's what's my you know, am I going to soak everything in? And, and being an older guy, being a father, you, you're in a different mindset than you are when you're 21 and you get called up. You know, you're just like, big leagues, let's go. As as a father and understanding where I came from and a long journey, it was something that was, was – I, I feel like I took a lot of stuff in, but I also feel like I – mentally wore myself out because you know i was trying to see all my family and friends that were coming to the games and get them tickets and it it is it was something that the more guys that i played with when they made their debuts it was something that i cautioned them about that like hey still take care of your business like still do everything but you don't need to cater to your entire friends and family group like you need to play baseball because now you're in the big leagues. Um, but the game, I, I was so fortunate to, <laughs> to be a catcher because I, I got to go warm up Ross Ollendorf. I got to go through my entire routine like a normal day of just going into a game. And so it made made me way less nervous, way, way less nervous, like walking out. And I know this is the, this is the crazy part. We had a ton of fans at the game. It was a Pirates game, so normally there wasn't any fans, but it was a great weekend—like thirty thousand people. Uh, that that so, the energy in the building was awesome, and just a lot of really. It, it was a lot of really cool moments throughout the game that that made it unforgettable. I think I think anybody that's like ah, I don't really remember my first game. They've probably had a long career, so that's probably probably the difference, but it's definitely something I'll, I'll never forget.
1: First hit was Bud Norris, correct? Single?
0: Single to right center field. Um, I feel like a lot of my big hits in my career are broken bats. Whether I hit them hard or not, my bat's broke. So I, I attribute it to just my incredible amount of strength, not <laughs> – the fact that I didn't hit the ball in the barrel. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I have, I have the broken bat. It was a base hit the right center. Um, Lasting's millage was on first base and he stole second and slid into second and was visibly disappointed that I swung and hit it because that would have been a stolen base for him not Not to worry about the fact that it was my first ever big league hit after eight years in the minor leagues, but he was visibly disappointed that I took the stolen base away
1: <laughs> so after eight years and you get there, is there a feeling of validation of finally get breaking through that it was all all those moments that night in applebe'es, you know the frustration being told you're going somewhere you were you had success the year before Uh, what's what there has to be a feeling of validation. Like I did it.
0: That's a good question. It's a good question. And it's got a couple parts in the sense that I, I had learned from plenty of people through my faith, through experiences that I was a baseball player, but that's what I did. It's not who I was. So, as a baseball player, yes, there there was validation. But as as a man, as a father, husband, friend, teammate, all that stuff, I don't think I needed to be validated to make it to the big leagues. I had I had spoke I had spoke to a group of um, a youth group of of, of boys in two thousand nine during the year that I had a lot of success, and I really truly remember that moment as I I told him, I said, if I don't ever make it to the big leagues, I know I've given everything I have. And whether that means working out, whether that means time away from family, you know, a lot of sacrifices, eating, whatever it is, I gave everything I had. And I believed that. And now I look back at it and I had, I made the big leagues and, you know, I'm I'm in that moment where I played in my first big league game and I looked back at it and the resounding thing that I kept thinking of was all of my teammates that at different points in my career were better than me. And what an amazing opportunity. And I'm not taking this for granted because I got this opportunity. Plenty of guys didn't get the opportunity. Plenty of guys didn't stay healthy. Plenty of guys didn't get a break here or there. Plenty of guys played a position where they're better players, but it's way harder to make it as an outfielder than it is a slow catcher. Um and so the validation, I'm sure there's a point of validation, but really the resounding feeling was man, remember Carlo Coda, remember Christian Snavely, remember Eric Arnold, remember Ron Davenport, like these guys that I got drafted with that never got the opportunity because we were, to me, we were all in the same boat. And to me, those guys were better players, had better seasons, and it didn't happen for them. So really appreciate the opportunity
1: that I have. Time for another break on one-on-one more with Eric Kratz right after this. And we're back, continuing our conversation with former Phillies catcher Eric Kratz, who is joining the Phillies radio broadcast team this season. So after 2010, you signed with the Phillies organization. Now, was that a situation? They were the team that showed the most interest? Or was it more where you were in your life with your family? It was an opportunity to be close to home. Or was it strictly baseball? This is the best opportunity for me. Best
0: opportunity. To the point where when they called, my wife was like, what? The Phillies? Like, we were living in Virginia at the time. Um, But, you know, she knew I grew up a Phillies fan. She – I had gone to the World Series in 2009 when they played the Yankees. Like, she was she, – she knew full well what playing for the Phillies meant. Like, we'd be in Lehigh, get called up. I'd be in Philly. I'd be close to my parents. Like, she would have help with the kids. And she's like, "You gotta take it and I told her i'm like we gotta like we gotta really we gotta really look at this and and just look at all the teams that are asking and calling and obviously, we ended up taking it um I ended up taking the job, and it was the best decision decision that I could make for my career, but it was also so many other cool things about it. The fact that I got to play for the team I grew up rooting for.
1: You spend most of the year at Lehigh, but you do get called up in September. And, you know, 2011 phillies you're talking, you know, Halliday, Lee, Hamels, Oswald, Ryan. Like, I don't have to tell people the names. What's it like walking into a clubhouse surrounded by Hall of Famers, you know, future Hall of Famers, what was it like? It
0: was refreshing. It was, at some points, it was kind of like a circus, but the refreshing part, it was a circus because that was the year Cliff came back. And so, like, I went from the Pirates, like, three beat writers at every game in spring training to 125 media in the Clearwater Clubhouse. Um, So the refreshing part was I came in and I always felt like, I guess this sounds conceited, but I always felt like I worked really hard and it always felt like that was something that I was, that was going to help me. But I also always looked at my teammates like, really? Like you're just going to skip a workout. Like you're going to skip this or that. And I got to Philly, and I was like, holy crap. Like, these guys get after it. And you're talking about Raul Abana is 39 years old. You're talking about Chase Utley, all he accomplished. You're talking about Ryan Howe. Every single guy on that roster. Cliff just came in with a huge contract, not to mention, you know, what Doc, you know, kind of, you know, the legendary Doc workout type of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is it. And working out matters and, and trying to be your best matters. And the refreshing part was that, that the people worked, but also that's what they cared about. Like a bunch of dudes already had their contracts. They had their careers. They wanted to win and they wanted to win bad. And they won a ton of games that year, 102 wins, like, it was a legit team that had accomplished so much and it was refreshing to see everybody getting after it and really not distracted by the things that I saw guys distracted by when I was with the Jays and the Pirates, but they never won. So it was something that the Phillies, it was, it was very refreshing for me.
1: Of all the, we talked about all the, the pitchers on that Phillies staff, who was uh, the most, interesting to catch from a purely catching standpoint just as how you had to handle them their stuff the challenge of their stuff uh who was the guy that was the, the most interesting
0: most interesting are we talking about kk too are we talking about Kyle sure Kansas?
1: yeah anybody on that <laughs> on that, that staff there's no there's no way you can mention that staff
0: without mentioning kk um oh man the most interesting they're They're a whole package deal. Um, I think I think less physically, like to that point, I, I felt physically my my physical catching abilities I had a lot of confidence in. So I didn't think anybody you know I wasn't intimidated physically trying to catch anybody, but as far as like intimidated when I finally got into catching Doc uh that was intimidating um but it was a learning process for me too because he was so focused on preparing for the game that it made me prepare for the game like i have to be prepared if i'm gonna get in there i have to be prepared because that's what he expects from himself and it's like well, why would i not do the same thing and so we he elevated my game without even saying a word because he barely ever said any words. Um, But then you go like Cliff, who's just like ultra competitive. And he's just going to get after it. And is really just going to throw. He's like, I'm just going to throw as good as I can throw every single day. I'm like, well, that's what everybody does. He's like, yeah, but I'm just going to do it. So his personality was, was way different. Our personalities really meshed. We really, you know, got on the same page. And then there was Cole. Cole was... Cole was just, he was very easygoing until you weren't on the same page. And there was times when he visibly was upset with me. And so that made my, that made my heart race. Like, oh crap. Like, these are all pictures where you're just, as a catcher, if they don't see, if the rest of the, if the rest of the league, the the rest of the team doesn't see you behind the plate, you've done your job. Like, just let them do who they are. And, and so that was learning for me too, you know, Cole knew what he wanted to throw and it, they all worked at a great pace. And so if you didn't, if you didn't run it at that pace and you didn't have it right, you know, the sign that he wants right away, it's like, you know, you could, you could be, he would be visibly upset. And I'm like, "Ah." I was never like, Oh, why are you upset with me? No, I knew i messed up um so they they all had their challenges, and they all had things that really made me a much better catcher that I took on for a long time in my career.
1: You end up really establishing yourself with the phillies as at at the backup catcher uh 12, 13, I think he came back in in fifteen uh, as well yep. and the fan base loved you. You got a an endorsement deal uh with the 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 turkey bacon company yep. uh, you you really made an impact that a lot of backup catchers don't make how much fun was it to not just having the success not just having that connection but doing it at home you know and and with the team you grew up watching
0: for sure i think I think the success the success is the big thing i mean that's the That's what you try for as a player. Um, But the whole, like, interaction with the fans, I think it just – it came naturally in the sense that I was a Phillies fan. I was a Phillies fan. I grew up. So when there's a reaction, good, bad, indifferent, that's what my reaction is. Like, that, I'm already – if they're already booing me, I'm already booing myself. Like, I'm not – I'm not ignorant. Like nobody, I, you never hit a home run as a home player for the Phillies and they're booing you, but you could hit a home run. You could hit a double and you could strike out in the ninth inning to lose the game. They're going to boo you. You know who else is booing you? Me. I'm booing myself. So, so I think it, it, it's something that I, I hope that's why there was a connection, but I love that there was a connection there. And, and I think, you say a backup catcher, but I always feel like Philly fans love the backup. They love the backup. You know why? Because they just don't quite see them enough to really hate them. And, and so it's like, but it's a high expectation. I always tell people that nobody boos louder than Philly fans. Nobody cheers louder either. You're, you're, you're like that spectrum is there. And, and to me, that's energizing as a player. That is, that, that's motivating. That is something that I, I really take from my time. And when I look back on it and evaluate it, that's, that's really the Philly fan helped, helped me a lot in my career because it, it definitely enabled me to be in, in situations and understand how I felt about those situations as a player.
1: What is, if I ask you your time with the Phillies, what's your favorite memory? Is there one that just comes right to the top of the list? Right
0: to the top, man. If I just say my first home run as a Philly, I I would be, I would be remiss to, you know, I would be missing, missing something. Tom Gorzolani,
1: right? Off Tom Gorzolani?
0: Oh, yeah. One of my buddies I played with with the Pirates. Couldn't have been better. (laughs) Couldn't have been better. Uh, there was, there was big, there was big hits in that, in that 2012 time. Uh, My first night I got called up with the Phillies in 11, we clinched. So I got to pop bottles. Now I popped like maybe one and a half bottles of champagne, like out on the periphery. Like I had just gotten there. I felt like I was part of it, but I didn't feel like I needed to be in the center of, of all of that. You know, I just kind of, me and my buddies who just got called up kind of, kind of watched it and understood, understood our role in it. Uh, But that that's a memory playoffs in 11 are things that I'll never forget. Uh, But, but like an overarching memory is how during that time, there were so many fans in the stands, so many, and the energy in that stadium was bananas. Like for for an entire season, the energy was incredible, and that was something that I honestly really didn't notice a ton until I came back in 15. And there just wasn't quite as many. There, I remember remember telling somebody, I go, I'll be honest, I didn't know that the seats were blue, (laughs) maybe I just wasn't, maybe I just wasn't uh, as observant enough but they just really seemed bluer during the game when there was no fans sitting in them. So that was, that was something for me that was, you know, an an overarching, an overarching memory. Um, There was obviously some, you know, some, some big time hits that I had that were, that were exciting too. But I think the, my first home run definitely is there.
1: You played several other places. Uh, I obviously Philadelphia, is at the top. What was your next favorite place? Like, was there a stop that uh, had a that really you enjoyed to to a to a high degree?
0: Uh, Kansas City and Milwaukee, I would say, are the next their next two in different areas. But I think the one the one thing that all three places have in common for me is how the organizations treated my family. Just, I mean. Mr. Montgomery treated my my family like gold. Um whether it was him and the nice words he said or you know the thing the people he put in place to take care of the families was you know it, it meant the world to me and I, I'll I'll forever I'll forever remember that. Um and the same thing in in Milwaukee. Um they took care of the families so that I knew the family. My family was comfortable. My kids were enjoying it. The you know my wife was taken care of at games, and the same thing at KC. And it's really, it is a I think it would be called an ancillary type of type of benefit. But there's ramifications that that go so that 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 go to the field in that in that situation. And, and I'm not a superstar, but they treated me, all three organizations treated me and my family like, like superstars.
1: So you ended your career in 2020 with the Yankees. Was it just time? Were you out of gas as far as playing's concerned? Uh, What led you to hang it up?
0: I, I wasn't out of gas as a backup catcher. You spend most of your games, like just watching games. Like, so physically I, me, and my wife. She's such a great planner. She plans ahead and looks ahead. And we sat down and talked about it. I was like, I could play for five more years. Like physically, I could play for five more years because I barely played. You know, it's not like I'm getting ready to make 30 starts or as a pitcher, or I'm going to play 110 games like a real Muto or you know something like that. I'm I'm kicking it around for 60 games. Doesn't mean. I'm not ready, but like, I think maybe if I would have played 120 games at the age of 42, maybe that physically would have worn me out, but I was always up for the challenge and I always felt like I kept myself in physical shape. But the biggest thing was my kids are not getting any younger every year. I know this is newsflash, but every year kids get one year older. So that's how it works. Um, And it was, we had originally planned the Olympics were going to be my last hurrah and they were supposed to be in 2020 and I was on the Olympic qualifier and COVID hit. And, but by that time we had decided 2020 was it like, and my wife was reminding me of that, like 2020 is it. And it was great that she did because I was able to go out. You know, we lost in the playoffs in 2020 out in San Diego, but I was able to leave. My boys were balling. They were so upset that they knew it was going to be my last game ever. And I was like, what do you guys want me to do? You guys want me to miss all of your games? Now I'm coaching middle school. I'm coaching both their teams. Uh, Do you want me to not be home? at spring training, you know, the the older they get, the less time they can miss from school. Um, and, and let's say, you know, physically, I feel like I could play for five more years and, you know, I'm still on that trajectory. Like I feel like I could, but at five more years, my oldest would be in college. My second child, my second son, he would be driving. So that's essentially like, he's not in the house anymore. And my daughter would be, would have been 13. And so I don't know many, you know, many 13 year old girls who are like, oh man, I'm so glad that my dad's here. Like, you know, they're off doing their own thing. And so every year is an important year. Every day is an important day with my kids, with my wife, but looking ahead, it was, it was just time. And I'm so blessed, so fortunate to be able to walk away. So many people get the uniform taken off of their back. And so many people can't even walk when they're done, especially catchers. And I got, I got to hang it up when I wanted to, I got to experience so much. Yes. I didn't get to go to the Olympics. I went to the qualifiers. um, And they did ask me, if I wanted to play on the Olympic team. And by that time I was full bore, full go into not playing anymore. And I had no desire. I, and I, I'm so thankful that I had no desire because I see some of my, my buddies, my good friends who didn't have that feeling and, and needed to keep trying to play because their careers didn't end the way they wanted to. And so I'm so fortunate in that. And I see kids getting ready for the season now in high school. And I'm like, ah, so glad I don't have to get ready for the season. (laughs) It is so great.
1: Eric Kratz, this was so much fun. Thanks so much for taking the time. No
0: doubt, man. I appreciate you, you having
1: me on. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank former Phillies catcher and current member of the Phillies broadcast team, Eric Kratz, for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, help us out by leaving us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One On One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.